Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 32 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Elizabeth Fisher, the founder and CEO of Lava. After being diagnosed with ovarian cancer and enduring chemotherapy not just once, but unfortunately twice, Liz decided to follow a strict keto diet to help heal her body and discovered the world's lowest carb, highest fat nut called the Pilly Nut. Blown away by the Pilly's smooth, delicious, buttery flavor, nutrients, and high-fat content, Liz began blending them with coconut milk, which sparked the idea for Lava. In over 2,000 grocery stores nationwide, Lava currently offers superfood yogurts in six flavors, including best-selling vanilla, original, and strawberry. In June 2020, Lava launched the first-ever vegan, keto-certified yogurt called Molten Lava, and recently debuted a line of plant milks and creamer exclusively in Whole Foods. In this episode, Liz shares with us her journey from running away from home at age 14 to launching her first business muffin a day and building a career working in sales for numerous health food companies before launching Lava in 2018. Tune in to hear Elizabeth's inspiring story. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We would really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Liz, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited to hear your amazing story in building Lava. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lee. I'm happy to be here. All right, so let's start with childhood. Where are you from originally? I'm a Jersey girl, born and raised. Um, but I've never been started that far back. Uh, so well, here we go. We're going to uncover it all. Where in New Jersey are you from? Uh, Montclair. All right. And what was it like growing up? Did you have any siblings or your parents like? I was, a fr I'm the firstborn. So, uh, I had it all to myself for a little while. Um, and my dad, I guess, was my mentor. I never really thought about that either, except that he was a sales person. And then I ended up becoming a salesperson. Um, and he was, you know, God given sales skills, mm -hmm. you know, just really warm and enthusiastic. And, you know, just the kind of the life of the party type of person. And he was in uh, consumer electronics and the uh the pinstripe suit and the you know white shirt very very conservative you know uh and he would go off with a briefcase you know in the car did a lot of on the road travel but you know i just remember daddy coming home and you know hearing the stories and he would bring me treasures from his trips but 
I'm just trying to think how, you know, I have to kind of fast forward to when I got married because I don't think I had any, um, well, I had a couple of totally crazy adolescent experiences that I, I really never shared before, but are probably the most interesting stories I have to tell. Well, let's hear it. Just, I was, I was, you know, a, a restless adolescent. I wasn't particularly good at school. As a matter of fact, I was downright not good academically. Starting at what grade did you realize this? For me, it was third grade. I got my first C. I was like, school's just not for me. Third grade, third grade was the mark where I realized. What about you? Well, math certainly was third grade. I knew that, you know, I mean, that was temper tantrums and just couldn't do it and real, real meltdowns. Mm -hmm. But um, I just, you know, probably I was goody two shoes up until about 14, you know, played the flute and the marching band and I was a uh, excellent student. And, you know, so then I, uh, I found boys and uh, just, just was one of those bad adolescent, you know, teenagers who, you know, my parents just, I can't believe uh, uh, what I put them through. But I made it, I made it, I made it. And I did learn after some close calls, how important an education was. And my parents, I remember my mom threw me this brochure about a college in Florence, Italy. And all, I just had to fill out this, uh, you know, introduction to me. And uh, I just jumped at it. And I was accepted. Is that because you just wanted to kind of get out of New Jersey or like what caused that shift when you were 14 to go from, you know, straight edge to rebel? Uh, well, I was under the influence of a very bad friend. Mm, peers. Yes. Pressure. And we were operating as one unit pretty mm -hmm. much. And <laughs> so she had a much rougher home life than I did. You know, my parents couldn't have been better. Yeah. Uh, but she had a rough time and, uh, you know, ran away from home. And I ran away with her. And I think I was 15. And uh, it seems like it was a really long time away, but it actually wasn't. Um, but it was long enough to scare the you-know-what out of me. And I came back super, super focused mm. and realized I didn't know anything, you know, yeah. pretty much. When you guys ran away, where did you go? And what was life like that made you realize this isn't so great? Uh, we went to where all runaways go, Orlando. <laughs> we, we went to Florida. Okay. Actually, we went not Orlando, Daytona. Wow. So you guys were in high school, I guess, and you're just like, let's hit the road and go to Orlando, Florida and run away. And I guess yes. you didn't tell your parents. You must have just left and they were worried sick. Yes. No, it was awful. Oh. But, uh, you know, I can never apologize to my mom enough for doing that, but she's over it now. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're in Orlando and what was life like? How long were you there? And what was it like? And what was the moment when you realized I want to go back? Well, um, it was, uh, we we're probably there for about maybe 90 days. 
Wow. And first of all, I had no money. Right. um, but I did end up getting a job working on the boardwalk at a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I ended up being the manager in like <laughs> like two weeks. And so I had a, you know, I was already kind of applying myself in a bizarre uh, habitat, uh, and my girlfriend kind of went in a different direction. Uh, we ended up splitting up. <laughs> And then I ended up, you know, I mean, a number of uh, other episodes that led me to make the call home. Can I come yeah. home? And they're like, please come home. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's a good lesson learned early, I feel like, is like, wow, I'm pretty um, helpless without an education. And, you know, I've got such great parents and it's a good perspective to get. Um, so you come back, you're in school, I assume you, you graduate high school or I finished high school, you know, rapid fire. So I went on a hyper, did two years in one and, you know, did, uh, Excel. And that's when my mom threw me that brochure to that university in Florence, Italy. Yeah. And it was an art school and it was just such a departure. And that's when I just you know, in a very short period of time, just being in in Florence, which in itself is a museum. I mean, I just got mm-hmm. drenched in the language and the culture, and I was studying theater and uh, art and literature, and um, it was taught in a, a villa and you know, I had a little moped, I would, you know, so it was just a transformative experience that kind of got me out of my Americana, you know, kind of bratty little American teenager mindset. And, you know, I met all kinds of students from other backgrounds, from the Middle East, from of many of them kind of fortunate so that they got to go away and we all had our own stories, but uh, it was an extraordinary experience. And I came back and finished college, uh, went to Douglas University and uh, the girls' school of Rutgers. And um, boom, I was an actress in New York City for professional actress and dancer for about uh, five years. Did stuff on and off Broadway. I mean, I have, I'm really just telling you my life story here. Well, that's the um, point of the show. It's like a, so like a mini biography. <laughs> so you were an actress and um, dancer in New York City on and off Broadway. That's really cool. Were you in anything that anyone who's listening now may have seen? Uh, definitely not. Um, I mean, I, I supported myself, um, but, you know, it was all kind of classic theater, which is no way to make a living. Um, you know, my talents were, uh, rapier and dagger and restoration dance. And nobody wanted those skills, you know, they wanted, you know, simulate a cough, on a commercial, you know, and just, I, I kind of had to commercialize myself, Mm -hmm. which, uh, I had some success at, but not a great deal. I wasn't really that good a singer, but I sang. Um, and of course I waited on plenty of tables, which is really hard work. And, but I did support myself as an actress 
And, uh, but I developed this, uh, I used to listen to the radio. I kind of was a talk show radio junkie. And I used to listen to this one show in particular on a radio station in New York, WOR. And it was health and medicine and wellness. And it was hosted by a, a doctor named Jeff Fisher. And I just thought he was great. He played wonderful music. And I sent him a tape asking him for a job. And it turns out that you know, he proposed to me on the second date. What? And so wait, you wanted, what job did you, you wanted to be a host on the show? No, I wanted to produce the show. Oh, so you and sent him this letter wanting to work I sent for him. him a tape okay. at the time, you know, of me talking to him, telling, you know, telling him what I liked about the show because he had all these scientific researchers on, uh, I mean, Nobel Prize winners, you know, really talking about kind of the science of nutrition. Yeah. So that of interest really happened early. Um, and, you know, the guy that did the original research on vitamin E, uh, you know, really, um, you know, hearts, the first guy that do the first heart surgery. So I was fascinated um, with all of it. And he also played great music and he had mm -hmm. a great voice. I just wanted to be part of whatever it was he was doing. So he, right. and boy, did I get that. So he, <laughs> in a whole nother we had a way. In common. We had an amazing uh, first date, obviously. And then he did propose on the second date and I did accept. Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. But how did it go from I'm interviewing for a job to wait, can I actually just take you on a date? How did that happen? Well, he said, let's meet. Okay. So, so that it wasn't a, it wasn't really a date date. Oh. It was a less meet. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, what can I say? I've been <laughs> married 33 years. So that's awesome. It, def it definitely took. Yeah. <laughs> so the second date he's proposed, you say yes. Do you end up working with him on the show? I ended up producing the show. Yeah. All right. And so I was scheduling all these uh, medical experts. Uh, uh, you know, Jeff was a marathoner at the time. So a lot around athletic performance and uh, nutrition, um, you know, started giving out recipes on the radio show. So I was giving out muffin recipes on the radio show. And everybody kept encouraging me to make the muffin to sell. Uh -huh. And so I did. 
And I remember taking the little prototype to King Supermarket. And I had no confidence in my ability to, 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 for them to take me seriously. So I, I remember bringing my dad and my husband. Um, <laughs> and the guy said, yes. And um, boom, I was in the food business, you know. I mean, that was the last time my father or my husband ever really helped me with the business. But I uh, ended up making the product and bringing it to market and uh, learning how all the pieces kind of worked. And um, I did sell that company. And What was it called? Uh, it was called Muffin a Day. Muffin a Day? Muffin a Day, yeah. All right. And it had, you know, it was all about, it had no sugar added and it was, you know, uh, very high in soluble and insoluble fiber. I wouldn't say it was a raging success, but I certainly learned a lot. I was, I was making the product myself. You know, we had a, a commercial bakery, but I was right there mixing the dough, depositing, you know, emptying the baking t- <laughs> yeah. I mean, really doing the work and, but also driving around and selling it. And, uh, try, I remember showing up at a distributor with my dog to collect payables that were late. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, I hope the dog, the dog was, I'm imagining like this big dog that you're trying he was to use a, to intimidate. a golden retriever and wouldn't have hurt anybody, but he was very big. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I got the money. Um, so he was there more for emotional support rather than threaten the um, <laughs> the customer. <laughs> but that got me into the food business, and I got bit by the bug. And I learned kind of that um, those uh, kind of the ground rules uh, on, and I applied it to other businesses and worked with a number of big brands that were little when I started and then got bigger uh, and had a great ride, mostly on sales. How many stores, uh, what kind of stores did you get the muffin a day in? How many um, retailers were you in at that time? Oh, back in the day, yeah. uh, probably, you know, we were in Ahold USA and at the time, um, you know, ShopRite mm-hmm. and, uh, but natural food stores. I mean, Whole Foods was really just in its beginning, you know, I mean, they're really only whatever, 35 years old or so. Right. Uh, the biggest- you know, regular grocery stores, like in the fresh bakery department where they have all those really bad for you desserts and donuts and all that bad stuff. And then in the middle of it was this, you know, super health food muffin. (laughs) And so what's the biggest takeaway even today that you take from that first experience in building that company that has helped you with building Lava? Just, you know, continue putting one foot in front of the next and the customers will meet you there if you have something special. Mm-hmm. And uh, the consumer really is uh, the strongest advocate you can have. And there is nothing more powerful than, you know, a shopper coming in and shaking that store manager down to get something. You know, I need this. 
it helps me feel good. It helps me through my day and uh, get rid of all this other stuff you have out there because the one thing I love, you stop caring. So that is a very powerful uh, influence. Yeah. And what would be one of the biggest challenges you had? And how long did you work on Muffin a Day? How many years? Oh, that was probably about uh, four years. So within that, those four years, what was one of the most challenging moments um, that you had to overcome? Oh, my goodness. Um, I couldn't leaven it. That was the most difficult thing. I couldn't make it rise hmm. because it had so much fiber in it. Mm-hmm. And I went to the experts at AIB, which is the American Institute of Baking. And, you know, they've got all these food chemists and scientists and, you know, I mean, all these chemical companies that are intertwined in food, you know, uh, they have the agents, which are generally, you know, it is a chemical reaction to leaven something, to lift it. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, you, you know, we can't, you can't do it. You have to get a get. You have to take the fiber out, and then it will go up. And you know, I've <laughs> I've heard that a few times, uh, but we did do it. And um, you know, it took uh, a bit of uh, courage. And you know, partially, I just didn't know any better. You know, if I had taken the experts' advice, mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't have. I I would. We would have failed. But I was able to find uh, a food chemist, a food scientist who knew all the, um, I gave him that assignment. Yeah. And he said he could do it. uh, And he did. Great. I love that. So you learned, you know, experts might have an opinion, but it's not the final. And if you believe it can be done there, you'll find when there's a will, there's a way, right? (laughs) Maybe that's the lesson here. So after Muffin a Day, how did that transition? Did you sell the business? uh, And then what happened next? I did sell the business and I started working with a a large organic bread bakery out of Northern California called Alvarado Street Bakery. And they make a flourless sprouted grain bread and uh, started, they were nowhere on the East Coast, and I started bringing in trailer loads of bread and setting up distribution uh, up and down the Eastern Seaboard. Um, And that went on, that was a long, wonderful relationship, and we got a lot of distribution for this very special product. So it was living in a sea of, you know, processed carbohydrate breads. And there was this very special product and it was more expensive and it was highly perishable. But when people found it, they were, they were ours, you know? And so it was that unique connection that is really intimate, you know? And I saw that happen all the time over and over again. So that was certainly a message that uh, I have held close. And we certainly have that same thing happening with Lava more so now because of, you know, the fresh probiotics and the prebiotics and that sort of living microbiome really provides functionality 
And for many people, their days are just not right without it. So, I, you know, I see that same thing. You know, they're actually, something's missing if they haven't had their daily lava. Interesting. And so what happened after your time? You know, it sounds like you were able to help them distribute throughout the East Coast. Um, what happened next? Where did you go from there? Well, I met a guy who had a bunch of crazy snacks, uh, kava kava corn chips, echinacea spirals, cat's claw crunch. He had all these kind of herb fortified puffed snacks. And then deep buried in the back of the portfolio, he had a product called Pirate's Booty. Okay. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And so we, uh, I started working with uh, Rob Ehrlich uh, when he was really just selling snacks out of a surf shop in Seacliff, Long Island. And uh, Pirate's Booty was not in distribution. And so I started leading that uh, sales effort. And it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful beginning for, um, for many stores. That was the beginning of the, quote, better for you salty snack set. And, you know, up to then it had really just been Frito-Lay and some pretzels here sprinkled in. But then there was this come from nowhere, sort of better for you puffed rice and corn snack and talk about a, um, you know, a magical consumer relationship because uh, especially with a unique demographic, I would say, you know, young girls, uh, and guys, but particularly young girls, like, you know, soccer age. Uh, I mean, they had, it had such an iconic pull and the kind of volume we did was, uh, just stunning. We couldn't keep up with it. And so there was that, um, that moment where you have to scale and you're not really ready to scale and kind of learning all those growth struggles that really come from no longer being a sleepy little natural skew to, you know, getting 60 trailer load PO for a single customer. You know, I cannot believe how we went from nothing to uh, monstrous volume. And we really were the anchor to the natural food kind of spike. And then many brands obviously have followed and been very, very successful. But so I stayed on that pirate ship for quite a while and um, got off that ship. Uh, I mean, really, that was kind of the beginning of Lava which is, um, I had that personal health crisis. So I was very committed to my own health and wellness, very fit, very lean, very calorie focused, kind of in my approach to scale weight, sort of fat phobic female. Um, 
and boom, I, I had cancer. I, it, I was fine one day and the next day I had ovarian cancer and it was, I had no symptoms and no family history. And it was uh, pretty much as advanced as it can be. And um, that's crazy. I mean, for it to be so advanced and to not have symptoms. So how did you find out that you had it? Uh, well, I did have a symptom the day before, which was okay. just a little, little pinch. Um, and I thought maybe I, I, so I needed to see my, uh, my doctor. So I went to see my gynecologist who I'd seen for eight years and had just had a routine exam and everything was fine. And thank goodness they gave me a physical. And that's when he, he said, you have a mass and the rest is kind of like I, it was, uh, I'd never even heard about ovarian cancer, you know, yeah. so few women get it. And I just had a pap smear, you know, I thought I really uh, had optimized my women's health. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I lost uh, that bet because I went into the system with uh, a team, great team. And uh, I did go through uh, chemo after that and came out and I was good for about a year and a half, but it did come back. And I kind of, you know, learned that my thing did does come back, you know, and they just keep giving you chemo and, you know, until you something else goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with my uh, wonderful husband, who was really my journeyman through that whole process, and uh, I, it is like going into a system because it was a seven-year battle, mm. my cancer battle, and I did beat it. And I'm here to uh, share that I am I'm done and I beat the odds in big time. Yeah. But when I came back the second time, we changed my diet. And that's how, you know, I went from 75% of my calories from carbs to 75% of my calories from fat. So I started eating an extremely high fat diet with the goal of making energy from fat and shutting off making energy from glucose. So really, really turning down, you know, uh, under 30 grams, less than 30 grams of carbs a day. And it was, <laughs> you know, I was, it was really hard to get that much fat because it's not just restricting carbs. You actually have to consume the fat. And that was the part that was hard for me. Um, so I was eating a lot of macadamia nuts and avocado, and coconut, but I just literally could not eat another macadamia nut. I was just gagging them down. <laughs> and that's how I found the peely nut. The what nut? The peely nut, which is the hero ingredient in lava yogurt. All right. I've never heard of this nut before in my life. So what's so special about this nut? Well, it is so special. And I the only thing I knew about it was how it tasted, which is this buttery, neutral, creamy taste. And it's similar nutritional profile to macadamia in that it's uh, most of its calories come from fat. 
but I've now learned that it's it's a very good kind of fat, like uh, monounsaturates and medium chain triglycerides. I mean, it is a total superfood, but I'd never heard of it either. And it does uh, grow in the wild. It's indigenous to um, Southeast Asia. It does grow in Hawaii, and I'm sure it can grow in other places, but it's only commercially cultivated really in Southeast Asia. Um, but it, it behaves like butter. So you can just put it in a mixing bowl with a blender and it will whip up like a creme fraiche. It'll hold a peak uh, and it tastes like butter. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. And I'd been I'd sold non-dairy yogurt before and I really kind of understood that alt-dairy category. I'd sold meat alternatives before and was very plant based in my orientation, certainly from an animal welfare perspective. And I'm looking at this nut going, holy smokes, this is special. Yeah. And, but I was not in the, uh, you know, I was not really in good shape at that time. You know, I'd made it through my round two, uh, lost a lot of muscle mass, was, you know, still, wondering what end was up, if I was really going to, you know, have to keep going back in. Um, and I had a visit from a friend and I had her taste some lava, which was just, you know, very, very early renditions. And she's like, you got to do it. Uh -huh. You just, you have to do this. And she introduced me to a friend of hers and um, we formed this company and we did it. That's incredible. I feel, you know, if she would have said, mm, it's okay, you know, <laughs> would, it, would, would that have changed the course of this whole, you know, business? If oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or if she said, you're washed up. You know, uh, which that I would really be a horrible felt, friend, by the way, <laughs> I would have felt, uh, you know, I did feel washed up, you know, um, but so I guess that's really kind of the, the takeaway is, um, you're never really washed up. So, exactly. uh, they, but I wouldn't have done it had they both not said, this is totally different. It's this naturally occurring mouthfeel and nutrition coming from the whole food, not from a bunch of water and gums and sugars. So, you know, it was an unsweetened medium and it did have a pretty high fat content, which was not really in vogue. You know, women have looked at fat as the enemy. Yes. And certainly in yogurt, which is kind of the diet food, you right. know, and I didn't realize how truly junk food yogurt is. Mm. Um, what makes I mean, it what makes it junk food? Just out of curiosity for those listening, because even myself, I mean, you look at yogurt and you think, oh, you know, I really should be eating that stuff for the probiotics or for the calcium or for the blah, blah, blah. So what is it about yogurt that you say is not healthy at all? Well, the added sugar is the starting point, which just got legally declared in January. So it hasn't been part of legal messaging 
on packaging for a long time. And I think because all the fruit that goes into yogurt is, is made with added sugar, which is super cheap and is also a stabilizer. So it keeps it fresh long, long time. Um, sugar never goes bad. <laughs> so we had to crack that code, even in our fruit flavors, to make it just with organic strawberry, no added sugar. Um, but of course, that was the whole orientation, very low in sugar, very low in carbs. And then the other thing is the pairing with protein with sugar together is kind of the worst pairing you can have from a metabolic perspective, you know, because I'm looking at these macros for how they perform in the body. And, you know, it's not just calories, it's not just carbs, it's what kind of carbs, even in fats, it's what kind of fats, because there's a lot of really bad fats out there that are cheap and are added to almost everything. Um, so much, in fact, that like those seed oils, like sunflower, canola, yeah. all the, there, if you look closely, they're in almost everything because they do give a mouthfeel of fat, but they're highly processed, unstable, and they are inflammatory. So um, we're looking at the right kind of fat paired with um, whole food that to make this cultured medium, which became plant yogurt. That's interesting. And so it's fascinating to me that it sounds like really, would you agree that diet really helped cure your cancer? Do you think that's accurate or is it just helped? Well, and lots of chemo, you know, right. I don't want to be flipping about it, but you yeah. know, I had great medical care and I don't know yeah. is the answer. And I will never know. Uh, I you know, did do a number of things that were off-road. Maybe some of those had uh, uh, played a role, but certainly diet and nutrition and the quality of the calories uh, helped me rebuild my strength, which continues to be a focal point for me, which is energy, work, and... Um, and some of it is psychic too. I do truly believe that um, stress and you know those cortical steroids that you know those hormonal spritzes we get when we're flight or fright, you know, which everybody's in you know panic mode right now. I mean, right. really, yeah. Uh, and that is is toxic. Uh, a thing we can put. You know, it's not invisible. We know that it's deadly and it's up to the human animal to find out how to understand it. You know, it's a personal, um, it's a personal battle. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying stress can really cause these kind of things because it's toxic chemicals. It basically creates toxic chemicals in your body. Were you stressed? Do you, when you're looking back, do you feel like 
you went through a very stressful time and that could have been the culprit or when you look back on this, like, how do you view like health? Well, to be perfectly honest, I think what we're going through now is more stressful, Yeah, you know, trying to hold a small perishable company together. And especially when we know we have a differentiated health, clean plant-based functionality. I mean, really highly curated nutritional proposition. Yeah. Um, you know, in time of COVID where everybody is just stockpiling package goods and I know what it takes to make things mm-hmm. last a year and a half. And, you know, do we really need to eat more uh, processed carbohydrates, people? And, right. you know, I don't, I don't think so. But um, the message of, you know, letting go and uh, truly accept, accepting the moment and being in the moment certainly doing the work. I mean, battling cancer taught me that. I mean, I had a much higher likelihood of perishing from cancer than I do of perishing from COVID. So maybe that gave me some perspective and I'm like, people, huh? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Put your mask on and shut up, (laughs) you know, but, but that's just because, you know, I've been in the lion's den in a way, you know, and I had a much higher risk of not surviving that. Right. So how did you come up with the awesome name Alava with two V's, L-A-V-V-A? How'd you land on that name? Uh, Well, it was actually one of my uh, co-founders, Vivian, notice the V. Uh Um, So the, the Peely Nut grows in volcanic soil. Cool. At the foot of, uh, you know, it, it's this crazy nutrient-rich uh, soil that's never been touched. I mean, for centuries, these trees are very, very old. Um, so it was that lava, like molten lava. Uh huh. At that's where it came from, and then the second V is for Victoria, uh, Vic- victory. Oh, very cool. The branding you have is beautiful. So what year did you launch the company and and how did you get off the ground? Can you tell us the early days, the story of how, you know, things started to get going? Sure. I was selling kombucha one day and I knew that they were reviewing the category at this time. And I stopped working with the kombucha company and then came back a week later and showed a mock-up, just like the early days in the muffins. Here's a mock-up and a prototype. Uh-huh. And the buyer who by then had become, you know, kind of a friend, mm-hmm. a guy, sweetheart of a guy. And they were not setting their stores for 10 months. So it was a long I thought it was a long time, <laughs> right? but it turned out to be just, we just made it. But so he gave me the okay. So 10 months in advance. And then I went to uh, another account in New York um, and then another account. So we got three retailers to say, yes, we'll give you a shot. 
And then we coordinated them to all kind of get at the same time. And we shipped in uh, January, 2018. Um, That's amazing. So you were saying that you had like one sample that you homemade and then you had like some visual prototype stuff. You didn't even really like, is that accurate? Could they actually taste it because you just made them at home? And then you're like, well, this is temporary packaging, but this is what it's going to look like. Like, how did you finagle that? I think that's- Well, a little bit more went into it than that. I mean, it was made in a lab. So it wasn't, it was a pasteurized product and we did have prototypes made up to look like it would on a shelf. And um, so you put two and two together, but we hadn't run the commercial run of packaging and we hadn't actually commercially, uh, I mean, we had, we, we, com we knew where we wanted to go. We just hadn't gone there yet. Right. But I mean, even just getting the funding to do that, were you able to fund the commercial process with those orders or did you have to raise capital before that? Like when, at what point did you start taking outside? Uh, I had, I had some seed capital, which got me to that point where I could make a, um, you know, a theoretical commercial formula. So we knew what the ingredients were. We knew their ratio. We knew the nutritionals. We knew how they performed in a lab, but we hadn't done large scaled uh, production runs, um, which is where everything changes, by the way. Right. Um, so, but we had enough uh, confidence that we could go out and raise money in order to execute against the plan. And so that that's what we did. You found these stores, which is so cool. Are you allowed to name which stores they were? Uh, well, certainly Whole Foods Northeast was, um, we brought them all kinds of packaging images and he hated them all. <laughs> oh, really? And then we showed him one that he liked and that's what we, we went to market with. So they kind of helped you choose the packaging? Did you have like three different types? And then they're like, yeah, we like this one. And you're like, okay, we'll use that one now. Exactly. You cool. know, I mean, he looks at yogurt all day and is very successful at it and had been at it. And I, I knew him when he was packing out water in a store. So, you know, he's really come up and is a is a student of the best of the best. So uh, when we got that commitment, it was, you know, it was very, very important. Uh, and, you know, we took it very serious, but still a lot to learn, you know? I mean, brands don't uh, hit overnight. When you look at the brands you most respect, I mean, for me, I look at uh, Synergy, you know, the kombucha. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, even... Siete or Hugh Kitchen or, you know, even beyond me, you know, it, it takes time. I mean, Synergy took 20 years and uh, it feels like it kind of happened overnight, but it, it, it really didn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time for, you know, we launched as a plant-based yogurt, but we're so much more. And now we are redefining ourselves as a cultured superfood and really making immune enhancing claims because with 50 billion probiotics in a single cup, 
at the end of the shelf life, it's 10x the next closest competitor. And, you know, we never really talked about this stuff, but immunity is so relevant now. Uh, people are thinking about, you know, they're thinking about uh, heart disease and diabetes and obesity. They're thinking about the role that these play in, you know, their own lives. They're incredibly relevant. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So how much money, I think you said you've raised about $18 million so far. That's a huge number. Talk to us about the fundraising process. What was fundraising like? How did it go? Um, well, it's people have to, believe in the message and basically believe in the dream um, and also believe in the product, you know, so you definitely need your homework done in advance and the mechanics of competing in packaged goods today, just the economics of distribution and pricing and marketing and customer acquisition and it does take capital and um so we were very fortunate to have uh investors that are very mission oriented and the story of the peeling knot it is a regenerative crop and it doesn't require any external water source, so just rainwater. And actually, the, it's a beautiful um, growing story because it does grow in droughts as well. So it can take extreme weather. So, you know, we had to uncover that supply chain and secure it, uh, which took resources, trips to Asia, uh, collaboration and a lot of planning yeah. and negotiations. So we're ready. Were there any, so were there any um, investors that were like, no, nah, this is never going to work? Or like, what was, you know, what were some of the naysayers? And what did you kind of, how did you respond? Lots of no's, you know, yeah. uh, mostly you're not big enough mm. or prove it. Right. I mean, it really, to a certain extent, it it really is about uh, kind of investing in food as medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known for a long time that nutrition and disease are inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of lip service played to it. You know, we talk about diabetes and obesity and metabolic diseases that, I mean, I moved to the South and there were just, you know, there are young, you know, guys and gals in their 20s that have type 2 diabetes. I just don't know how it's even possible. But you see the, uh, you know, there is a fast food culture. It is uh, open for business and the lines around the block. And, you know, kids grow up that way. It's easy, it's delicious, and, you know, and then you start getting older. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's it's really about wellness mm -hmm. and to a certain extent about aging itself because a healthy animal will die of old age but not of disease. So there's a lot more study of the around kind of aging 
as a disease and uh, metabolism plays a very big role in that. So, you know, I think that there are more and more people who are feeling better longer and want to keep it that way. And they've made themselves students Mm -hmm. of what works for them in terms of fitness. I don't think you really can be fit without nutrition. Mm -hmm. After a certain age, you know, you really do need to think about consumption and uh, what the calories are and the quality of the calories. When we were talking earlier, we were you were mentioning that staying strong mentally, emotionally, and physically is something that you view pretty important to entrepreneurship. So how do you maintain staying strong mentally, emotionally, and physically? Well, I'm very fortunate that I have a great marriage. Mm-hmm. I think I do, very hard earned, uh, but it's uh, withstood the the winds of time, uh, like the peely nut tree. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, we, my husband's very funny, you know, so he makes me laugh and I make him laugh. Uh, I mean, like so hard that, you know, he can't breathe laugh. So, you know, that keeps us going. He also does all the cooking and shopping, which is, uh, as my mother reminds me, you don't know how great that is, you know, and he's a great cook. So um, that is uh, a big part of it. I have animals that I uh, are constant uh, companions and also a source of uh, reminders of, you know, being present and all the lessons they teach us. What kind of animals do you have? Just dogs and cats or... Two big retrievers. <laughs> okay. I've had a lot of retrievers. You know, yeah, there's a golden retriever retrie- in every uh, episode of this <laughs> chapter. <laughs> what about physically? Well, yes, certainly my my body has been, uh, um, you know, a, a pale. And uh, I've certainly put it to the test. You know, someday, you know, I don't know. I've got so many scars and cuts and this was put in there, you know, just, it's, it's unbelievable what they do to you when you go into the system mm. and it's medieval, but my yeah. gosh, your, your body heals. It's like, <sighs> it's like magic, you know? And yeah. so, uh, I look at it and, and I'm like, yeah, not bad, you know? And it still can do what I tell it to do. So I do push it. You know, I do, uh, I like to do any, everything I can physically, um, even just occupational therapy. You know, if I'm going to clean under the sink, I'm going to take it to the max, you know, and stretch and reach and um, put myself, if if it's an uncomfortable position, I want to stay in it. And so, you know, we're all home. I have a bike. I have a Peloton bike. Nice. So I've got I've got my favorite trainer is Matt Wilpers, who is a a total badass. <laughs> and you know I have other tricks I do. I do take ten minutes, and I've been doing this since Memorial Sloan Kettering, uh, just to center myself before I I go to bed. I do gentle stretching uh, every night and breathing and just movement. 
mm-hmm. as a centering reminder of what it means to be alive. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of people probably just get up, roll out of bed, <laughs> go on with their day, go to sleep, watch some TV in bed, you know, like they don't really take the time maybe to feel the muscles, stretch them, like really feel inside their bodies, if you know what I mean. Um, it's kind of like being an autopilot. So that's awesome that you do that. And it's probably very helpful at, for being an entrepreneur and reducing stress and all those things that you endure as a founder. I also don't sleep with my phone. Oh. And to all those that are texting me at two in the morning, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I try to put it, uh, leave it elsewhere. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm on high alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am um trying to be available for the team and uh we are all trying to be there for each other but if you're not there for yourself you really can't be there for anyone else yeah i agree with that what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business i wish i'd known about covid uh, Why? Be, what, what would you, what would you I definitely done? would not be a perishable food. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're we're fresh uh-huh. and highly perishable, but um, of course, that's why it's so much better for you because uh, it is a living product, right? Uh, so you know, I mean, uh, I wish. Certainly that we had been able to build an omnichannel platform before now. Yeah. So, so you're saying, so because you're saying you went wholesale first, um, so you're saying you wish you would have maybe you've done online direct to consumer first. Yeah. Because uh, of COVID? Uh, or? Not, not first, first, but same time. It yeah. all takes, you know, commitment and, uh, not too many people buying fresh food DTC. Yeah. You know, because of the freight. So, uh, you know, you have to send things refrigerated and that is in itself is uh, challenging. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I do think it's coming. I do think people want what they want when they want it. And I don't, I do think the consumer, our consumer certainly, uh, they're not going to settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think most people don't know about building a business? You know, I didn't know that much about it, even though I'd been, you know, selling. Um, I didn't really, I guess communication to investors is an area that I uh, have needed schooling on, uh, just how to make things concise and meaningful and you know i have wonderful advisors and board that uh share the mission but you know everybody's been put to the test during this uh last seven months Mm -hmm. i'm just very lucky we're lucky to be here i think we've done you know well during covid relatively speaking but um what does it look like on the other side for health and wellness? And I don't think anybody has the answer. Yeah. So before we finish up here, just final question, what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or business operators or founders out there today? Well, I think 
just to be a little lighthearted about it. You know, don't take it quite that seriously. I mean, it really isn't. Uh, you know, I've had so many failures and so many false starts. And it's it's about just cut yourself a break and lighten up a little bit. You're doing your best. And if it, you know, just go forward. Just keep on going. All right. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Same here. Thank you, Lee. And best of luck with your journey. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.